I want to begin this morning by looking at God's word. And if you have your Bibles with you, open with me to the book of Isaiah. We're going to look at chapter 43, verses 8 through 13. And if you don't have your Bibles on you, we're going to put it on the screens. And if you guys will all rise with me for the reading of the word. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the people assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witness to prove them right. Let them hear and say it is true. You are my witness, declares the Lord, and my servant who who I have chosen, that you know and believe me, and I understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I... I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declare and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witness, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Bow your heads with me. Father God, I thank you so much for uh, a morning that we can come together and learn more about you, Lord. Lord, as we go in to this, uh, into this lesson, God, I just pray that eyes will be opened, ears will be opened, and hearts will be opened to receive your word. That, God, today we will walk away with something new, something fresh, and something that we can apply to our lives and that will change us and change the people around us for you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I love opening up right away into the Word. It's one of my favorite things. Um, And and I think that this passage is a great reminder of how in control God is of our circumstances. Right? God is in control. I want you guys to look at your neighbor. I want you to look at them in their eyes and say, God is in control. Now look over to your other neighbor. You say it to them too because I don't want them left out. Yes, God is in control. Amen. Uh, Now, I I want to emphasize to all of you out there that I am the youth pastor, so you're going to have to hear about some of my millennial obsessions, and one of those is The Office, which is one of the greatest comedies that is out there. My dad is here right now, and he's shaking his head because he hates it. He thinks the humor is dumb, but I think it's hilarious. Um, And today I'm not going to be talking about one particular episode, but a story I recently heard about the casting of The Office. So one of the main characters, his name's Jim Halpert, is played by a man named John Krasinski. And you guys might have heard about him from his time working on The Office or from a number of other projects that he has done since. Um, But this show, The Office, was his first big break. And crazy enough, it seems like that almost didn't happen for him. When he was in the waiting room and he was waiting to be uh, called in for his casting call, a man was sitting by him and he asked if he was nervous for the interview. And John Krasinski's response was, no, you know, either you get these things or you don't, but I'm terrified for the person creating the show because, I mean, I just feel like Americans have such a track record of taking brilliant shows and ruining them. Now, little did John Krasinski know but he was speaking to the executive producer, (laughs) Greg Daniels. Now, uh, he still went on to get the job, obviously, but it kind of does highlight the importance of knowing who it is that we're speaking to, right? Now, with that in mind, uh, let's get into today's 
uh, sermon. So if you guys haven't been here recently, or if you've forgotten, we are working through the book of Mark. And last time that I was up here, I told you guys, the book of Mark is actually one of my favorite books because it, it's kind of like made for ADD people because it's all over the place. It, it's actually called the action gospel. And it moves quickly from one story to the next. And, and it can seem kind of disjointed at first glance. But know this. John Mark worked closely with Peter, who was the one who experienced all this when encount, recounting the life and ministry of Jesus. But he was guided by another. As with all biblical authors, we know that the Holy Spirit inspired their work. And this is important because the stories that we're going to be looking at today are kind of separated by some time, but they are consecutive, and there's a reason for this. We're going to be looking at two healings that Jesus performed, and through this, we are going to see how Jesus reveals and like I said, at first, these stories kind of seem disconnected. But as we read them, hopefully you guys see a theme developing. And I also want you to listen for similar phrases and events. And I want to look at the first of those healings, and it's in Mark 7, 31 through 37. And I'm going to read that for you. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up at heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf and hear and the mute speak. That Ephaphatha word was freaking me out all week. I was having so much trouble with it, but I, I got it right the second time on this. So, <laughs> hey, we got it eventually. So uh, this is the first section that we're looking at, and what do we see happening here? Jesus goes somewhere. He meets someone in need. He looks to heaven to pray. He heals that person with a sigh and tells them to keep it quiet after performing the miracle. And in this, we see some significant actions. And I want to break down those a little bit for you so that we can understand what's happening here. So first, he sticks his fingers into the man's ears and touches his tongue after spitting. And I don't know about you guys, but at first I'm looking at this and I'm going, uh, Jesus, that's nasty. That, that's real gross. Uh, but there is a reason for this, and, and I want to explain that because I don't want you guys going around praying for healing while sticking your fingers in people's ears and spitting on their tongues. Um, that's not COVID safe. We can't be doing that, people. No spitting in mouths. So what he was doing here was showing the power within himself to heal. The application of the healing was all from himself. It was his own fingers that he put into the man's ears. It was his own spit that he put on his tongue for Jesus alone heals. Now the next thing that we see is that Jesus sighed. Why did he sigh? Some think that it's because of the sins the man uh, he healed would be endangered of, the tongue sins. So after restoring his speech to him, uh, he was free from 
anything that he would say, anything that would come, speak out, speaking out against the Lord um, and, and having a foul mouth. He was free from that before. Now he is healed. Um, and so he might be in danger of those. Um, or it could have been his great compassion for the man. And I believe it may have been a combination of the two. But what we know for sure is that it wasn't because the task was too difficult. They, um, then Jesus commands that they keep the miracle silent. But the people were so blown away that they can't keep their mouths shut. They exclaim, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So the first healing that we see here is of deafness. Now we're going to skip forward a little bit. Um, and, and our next healing is found in Mark 8, 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and some of the people brought him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he, went, and he sent him home, saying, Do not even enter the village. So our second miracle is Jesus healing the blind. Now, something to note about these miracles is that they are the only two that appear in Mark, that they are closely re related. There are a lot of similarities in this miracle account to the healing of the deaf and mute man back in 731 through 37. In both cases, it is other people who bring the person to be healed to Jesus and in both cases, they beg Jesus to touch the man. Both times, Jesus takes the man away from the crowd. And in this case, he actually takes him by the hand and leads him out of the village, which is a beautiful picture of Jesus' personal care and his compassion for the man. And in both miracles, Jesus uses spit as a part of the healing process. With the deaf and mute man, he spit and touched the man's tongue. And in this case, he spits on the man's eyes. And then both miracles, Jesus, after Jesus heals the man, he commands them not to tell anyone about what happened. So there are a lot of similarities between the two accounts, but the big difference in this healing is that it took place in stages. Now, how bizarre is that? This miracle is taking place in two stages. And in fact, it's, this healing of the blind man is the only example of a two-stage healing in all of the Gospels. All of the other healings that Jesus recorded for us, uh, that, Jesus, that was recorded about Jesus in the Gospel, are instantaneous and complete. Jesus gives the command, and boom, that person is healed, and they are walking free. So this begs the question, why not here? Why did this healing take place in stages? Was it more difficult of a healing than others were? Was Jesus tired? Was he having an off day? He was like, eh, you know, I'm not really feeling it today. Let's see if I can get this done. No, absolutely not. So there was another reason why Jesus might have healed this man in stages. One thing I want you to know about the, notice about this miracle is that Jesus never gave an actual command for the healing. Often when Jesus healed, he would be like, rise up and walk. Or he, he said, like he said to the deaf man, be opened. Or he would make the pronouncement like your faith has healed you. But he doesn't do that here. There is no command, no pronouncement of healing. Instead, Jesus merely asks a question. 
do you see anything? And that's highly significant. In other words, Mark doesn't see this as a failed miracle. He doesn't see this as Jesus having made a mistake or that he only succeeded part way. But rather, he is simply recording how Jesus performed this particular miracle. And by the words that Jesus uses and the question that he poses, it is clear that Jesus intended to perform this miracle in stages. By asking the man this question after the first stage of healing, Jesus was making it clear to any witness that his miracles, that this miracle did not take place all at once. And I love the man's answers. Jesus asked, asked him, do you see anything? And he says, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Trees walking. No, this is not some scene out of Lord of the Rings where you have all these Ents walking around. And I'm sorry, that's another one of my millennial references for you. Uh, nerd one, too. Uh, sorry. And, and this, is, this is just how he described the partial vision in the, his partial vision in the healing. And Jesus had restored his vision partway, but things were still a little bit blurry for him. So he looks around and he can see the forms of people walking around, but no details. And it's sort of like trees walking. By the way, his answer to Jesus means that it's likely that this man was not born blind, but had become blind some point at his life, um, because he obviously had some uh, conception of what trees looked like in order to make this statement. And so Jesus asked, do you see anything? And the man answers, I see people like trees walking. And the healing has begun. Now that is a miracle in and of itself. I, I don't know about you guys, but I know that I can't just spit in a blind man's eyes and restore even partial vision to his sight. But Jesus was not going to stop here. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. When verse 25 says Jesus put his hands on the eyes, that mo most likely means that he put one hand on each eye, and now we get the complete healing. The man's eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And the word restored here means restored to a former state, which is another indication that this man was probably not born blind. And the word clearly means clearly and from a distance. And so not only could this man see again, but he was Mr. Eagle Eye now. He could see long distance. And, and he could see things clearly, again, he could see things clearly and from a distance. And notice Mark says that he could see everything clearly. Now the text doesn't tell us one way or another, but I'd be willing to wager that this man's eyesight was better than it had ever been before. This was a complete healing in every way. And Jesus tells him not to go into the village, and the implication here is that Jesus does not want him to tell anyone about the healing. And we have seen that this is a common theme in the Gospel of Mark, but back to our original question. Why did Jesus do this? Why did he do a two-stage miracle of healing? We know from Jesus' track record that he could have easily healed this man. He could have walked up to him and said, Hey, you are healed. Your sight has been restored. But he chose not to. Why? Because Jesus' miracles were not just miracles for miracles' sake. He wasn't just healing people just to heal them. They were also vehicles for teaching. 
On one hand, Jesus' miracles affirmed that Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah who had come from God, but we have seen that they have another meaning as well. So these two miracles that we talked about today, they're linked by a short story in between. And to set up this verse, Jesus is confronted by a group of Pharisees. This group was likely not around for the previous miracles, but they had heard of Jesus' reputation and came to argue with and request miracles from Jesus. They show us, let us see with our own eyes, they demanded. And Jesus then leaves them in a boat after saying, why does this generation uh, seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no one, no sign will be given to this generation. And we pick up there in the boat. Uh, we're, we're following along here with Jesus, and that's in Mark 18, 14 through 21. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have your, having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets of full broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? So the disciples are in the boat with Jesus, and he says that he, they should be aware of the Pharisees and Herod because they are like leaven. Now this was a reference that a small amount of yeast can affect a large amount of bread dough when they are mixed. And yeast was a common Jewish metaphor for an invisible, pervasive influence. And often, as it is here, is tied to a corrupted influence. And in this context, yeast refers to a gradual increase of unbelief. This lay behind the Pharisees' request for a sign, even though their minds were already made up about who Jesus was. They had already decided who Jesus was in their minds, but were still asking for a sign. And so it was with Herod. As indicated by Jesus' question, this attitude had affected the entire nation of Israel. And he warned his disciples against it. In contrast, he called them to faith and understanding without signs. But that's not what the disciples got from it, right? They heard Jesus talking about yeast and thought it was in reference to how little bread they had brought with them on the boat. They look at him and they say, oh man, Jesus is talking about yeast. He's probably just really upset that we only brought the one loaf with us. Now, unlike the Pharisees, they had witnessed the miracles and yet still didn't understand the truth about Jesus. Jesus then questioned them about their lack of understanding. And our key verse for this whole section is found in verses 17 and 18. And they shine a light on the rest of the whole section. Do you not yet perceive... Or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? Do you not see? Do you not hear? Do you not understand? Hopefully you're seeing the connection here, and it, but if not, we're going to uh, read this last, last section, and I'm sure that it, it will be revealed to you. So, I've been saying uh, this whole time that Jesus' miracles are meant to to heal 
and to teach. So what are these miracles teaching us? Well, each of the diseases that Jesus was healing are, were symbolic of some spiritual need in our lives. Deafness is symbolic of our stubborn refusal to hear God's words. Have you guys ever been there before? Stubbornly refusing to hear God's words. I know that I have. And we see this illustrated in Jeremiah 6.10. It says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are closed, they're deafened, and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. And blindness is a symbol, symbolic of our spiritual blindness. That is our lack of spiritual understanding. So if physical blindness is symbolic of spiritual blindness and our lack of understanding, then the two-stage healing we read about makes perfect sense as the prelude to the next section where Peter confesses Jesus Christ as the Lord. Let's look at Mark 8, 27 through 30. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the, village of, the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And they told him, John the, who do the people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now, uh, Caesarea Philippi, where they were, was a city about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And there were actually a number of Caesareas at that time. And they were all named after Caesar. And this particular city had been rebuilt by Philip the Tetrarch. And so it had the designation Philippi added to it. And I want you to note Mark's phrase, on the way. This phrase is repeated seven times in the next few chapters and represents a, a theme of sorts for this section. See, Jesus and his disciples are on the way, first to Caesarea and then to Jerusalem, but in another sense, they're on their way to discipleship. The Christian life is often likened in Scripture to a path or a way, and G Jesus, in fact, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And early Christians were even called followers of the way. So they are on the way when Jesus asked them a question, just like he asked the blind man a question. Who do people say I am? And they answer him with some of the popular opinions about Jesus in their day. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. These were the exact same opinions that were being floated back in uh, Mark 6 when King Herod was wondering who Jesus was, and he was getting a little bit freaked out because he was thinking, uh-oh, this John the Baptist guy is back. So, um, you know, these are the popular opinions of who Jesus is. But Jesus doesn't just want to know what the people think. He wants to know what the disciples think. So he asked, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Now, Peter always the bold one, always the first to speak first and think later. Um, Peter, who so often has to swallow his words in Scripture, Peter speaks out for the disciples here, and for once, he gets it right. <laughs> Good job, Peter. Peter replied, you are the Christ. And the word Christ is simply the Greek word for the Hebrew word 
Messiah. And so Peter is proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ that God promised in the Old Testament and has now sent into the world. And although Jesus has been demonstrating that he is the Christ again and again uh, and by his miracles, this is the first time that the actual word Christ appears in the, Mark, uh, in the Gospel of Mark since the very first verse where Mark wrote, in the beginning, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So everything in Mark's Gospel has been pointing forward to this confession from Jesus' earliest miracles to his opening of the ears of the deaf to his opening of the eyes of the blind. But now Peter is the first to boldly make the, the good confession, you are the Christ. Notice that Jesus does not correct Peter. In the book of Revelation, when the apostle John falls down at the feet of an angel to worship him, the angel tells him, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and the prophets and of all who keep the words of this book worship God. The angel refused John's worship because the angel knew that he was not God, but Jesus accepts Peter's confession, although he does warn the disciples not to tell anyone. Jesus knew that he was the Christ, and the time would come to proclaim that to everyone. But right now, the timing was premature. First of all, the Jewish people had wrong expectations about who the Messiah was. They thought that Christ would come as a political savior to deliver them from Rome. But Jesus had, not, had come as a spiritual savior to, to, live, to deliver them from sin. And also, if word got out that Jesus was accepting the title of Messiah, that would mean conflict with Rome, and it would be too early for Jesus to go to the cross. Everything had to unfold according to God's plan. And so Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone about him. So what does the confession, uh, Peter's confession of Christ have to do with this two-stage healing of the blind man? Remember, physical blindness is a symbol of spiritual blindness or a lack of understanding about God. And isn't that exactly the question that, Peter, that Jesus is asking his disciples following the miracle? Who do the people say that I am? And the people really couldn't clearly see who Jesus was. They knew he was important. They knew he had taught with authority and that he had the power to do miracles. And they knew that he had something to do with God. And they were even willing to say that he was a prophet. They were willing to say that this man was Elijah. So they, they kind of understood, but they did not yet know that he was the Messiah the Messiah who was promised from the time that we were ejected from the garden, the prophet, priest, king that would save God's people. They saw Jesus through unclear eyes with partial sight, like the blind man who saw trees walking. But then Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? Peter asked, answered, you are the Christ. Mark gives us the abbreviated version of Peter's words, focusing uh, our attention on Jesus' identity as the Messiah. But the Gospel of Matthew gives us Peter's full confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there's a sudden clarity of confession. A God-given understanding of Jesus' identity, just as the blind man needed Jesus' full touch to to see fully and to see clearly once again. 
And so we can see that this two-stage healing was meant as a prelude to prepare us for the two confessions of Jesus' identity to follow. The people's confession, which showed a partial understanding of Jesus and a partial understanding of his mission here on earth. And then the full clarity of Peter's confession, you are the Christ. Now here's where I'm going to stop in this story. Pastor Travis is going to be preaching on the climax of this story where we're going to end. But what's important to know at this point is that even after this, even after this awesome confession of who Jesus is, Peter still gets it wrong. Peter still messes up. He didn't yet understand who the Messiah is. One of the most important questions that you will ever have to answer in your own life is who is Jesus Christ? If he was just a good teacher, well, there have been lots of good teachers over the years. Or if he was just a prophet, well, there have been lots of prophets too. If he was just a man, then you can easily dismiss him. You you know, if he's just a man, then you don't have to listen to what he says. But if he is the Christ, the son of the living God, then that is absolutely necessary that we respond. In fact, your eternity is fused directly with your understanding of who Jesus is and accepting him into your life. It is that important. So let me ask you this. Do you see clearly who Jesus is this morning? Do you just see trees walking? Do you see Jesus as as just your friend, your buddy? Jesus as as your genie in the bottle? Uh, Is he just a source of good advice for healthy living for you? Is he just the one who hunts us down when we mess up and finds the wrong things in our life? No. Jesus is our deliverer, our savior, and our life. He humbled himself to die for us because he loves us. And that is who Jesus is. Now, we don't come by that knowledge by ourselves. And we see that from the disciples. Eventually, they would would come to realize this. But it was only after Jesus' death, his resurrection, and the pouring out of his spirit. John 16, 13 says, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will speak not on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. If you want to see Jesus for who he is, you need to pray for his spirit. Today we have access to the Spirit who reveals all truth. How great is that? Today we we don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for Jesus to go to the cross. He's already done it. His Spirit's been poured out. You don't have to go home and wait and wonder when Jesus is going to reveal himself to you. All you have to do is get on your knees and say, Jesus, show me who you are. Holy Spirit, show me who Jesus is. Because there's a difference between me telling you who Jesus is and you knowing who Jesus is. Jesus reveals himself to us in this way. I pray today that God would open your eyes that you might see the glory of God in Christ the Savior. 
Jesus asks you this morning, just as he asked the disciples so long ago, who do you say I am? And I pray that you might reply just as Peter did. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for pouring, pouring out your Spirit on us and giving us your Son who died for us. God, I pray that today each person here in their seats would understand who your Son is. God, that he's not just, uh, just a prophet, that he is not just a teacher, that God, he is the Messiah, he is the Deliverer, he is the Savior. I, God, I pray that each person here, every moment of their lives, every part of their lives is impacted by this statement because, God, this is the crux of everything that we believe. God, I pray all of these things in your heavenly, in your precious name.